friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, friends, are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. This is the message I shared at Timothy Lutheran Church on Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you speak through me this morning. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth give honor to you and your holy word. Please guide me with your words to send and equip this flock to grow your family and show your love. I ask all of us in the name of our crucified and resurrected Savior, who died and rose for our sins. Amen. Hello, friends. He is risen. He is risen As you watched the video this morning when we began our service this morning, Peter and John are running to the tomb. Now I want you to go back to that video. I want you to imagine yourself at the tomb with them that first Easter morning. It starts, you hear a commotion outside. You wake to see Peter and John running to the tomb where you know that they had laid Jesus' body. You clear the sleep out of your eyes. You get up and you run after Peter and John. You're able to keep pace with them, but you cannot catch up with Peter and John. You notice the stone that had closed the tomb of Jesus is laying off to the side. The tomb is open. Why is the tomb open? John reaches the tomb first, pauses, looks inside, but doesn't go in the tomb. Peter arrives just after John, passes by John, enters the tomb. As you stop at a distance, you wonder, what is going on? Next thing you know, Peter and John are standing outside the tomb with burial cloths in hand. They're talking passionately to each other. You wonder, What are they talking about? Wait a minute. They're holding burial cloths. And Jesus was the only body that was in that new tomb. Where is Jesus? Did somebody take his body? Why are the burial cloths not on Jesus' body? All these questions are going through your head as you're approaching the the entrance of the tomb where Peter and John are standing. And as you reach the tomb and Peter and John, you see that they're both smiling and laughing and hugging. And you ask Peter and John, how could you be smiling and laughing? Jesus' body is not in his burial cloth. Peter looks you directly in the eyes and says, Jesus is not here. 
That's obvious, Peter. I know He's not here. John says, He is risen. Jesus is alive. What? Jesus is alive? But we saw all that happened to Him on Good Friday. No one can survive that, let alone come back to life. And Peter says, He is alive. He is risen. Are you sure, Peter? Yes. I am sure. Remember all the things Jesus told us and taught us as we were traveling from town to town? Specifically, remember when Jesus asked me who He was and I responded, you are the Christ. And what did He say next? He said, and He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Today's the third day. Jesus is alive. He is risen. We have to go tell others. We have to tell the world that Jesus is no ordinary king. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Christ. He is the Son of Man. Everyone needs to hear that He is risen. But our Scripture reading this morning, that's not exactly how the events of the first Easter are recorded for us. And in the video, and imagining yourself at the tomb that first Easter morning, we forget one word. Fear. Fear was mentioned several times that first Easter morning. And for fear of, the, of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Today, Easter is a day of great joy, hallelujahs, flowers, music, celebration. That first Easter, however, begins with fear. Great fear. Great intense fear. What is fear? Well, our working definition of fear this morning is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. What is false evidence appearing real on that first Easter? Just three days before, Jesus had been beaten horribly. Maimed within an inch of his life. And then buried haphazardly because the Jews were preparing for the Passover. Jesus' ministry, it's over. His movement is finished. His cause is done. All you people that follow him and all the hope that he gave you, lost. And those that followed Jesus, they feared they were next. Easter begins with great fear. Great intense fear. False evidence appearing so very real. This Easter morning, some 2,000 years later, let us not focus on fear, but look to our faith. What is faith? Forsaking all, I take Him. Who is Him? It's Jesus. Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus, our Redeemer, creates beauty from ashes. Remember that. We start with fear this morning because that's how the first Easter began. As much as we try to deny it, fake it, and stuff it, we all live in fear. False evidence appearing real. I'm going to share something with you that I've never shared before, so don't make fun of me. 
All right? When I was four years old, I remember to this day having a vivid nightmare about the count from Sesame Street. I woke up to my parents coming in my room and I was screaming, Count! Stop counting! Still to this day, I can't even look at a picture of him, that guy up there on the screen. I don't know what it was that made me scared of the count from Sesame Street, other than false thoughts that seemed very real. And my sisters still tease me about it today. So remember, no counting around me, all right? Or making those count sounds, wah ha ha ha, right? You may not be afraid of the count from Sesame Street as a child. But we all had that monster or that image that was just behind every corner in the closet. It was just a matter of time until he leaps out of the shadows, scares us, and chews us up. Fear whispers incessantly. There's trouble out there. So we don't sleep well. We don't whistle while we work. And when others whistle while they work, we give them the look. You know, the look that... Are you that naive look, right? Then we scold them. Haven't you read the news? Haven't you heard the reports? Haven't you seen the studies? Airplanes fall out of the sky. The stock market, it's going downhill. Terrorists continue to terrorize all over the world. Good people turn out to be bad people. The other shoe's going to drop, and everyone has skeletons in their closet. Fear attacks us with two words. What if? What if I don't close the sale? What if I don't get the bonus? What if I lose my job? What if she doesn't love me anymore? What if? What if? What if? Fear twists us into these emotional pretzels. And your body reacts to it. It makes your eyes twitch. It makes your blood pressure rise. It makes your heart race and your head ache and your body sweat. We numb our fear with six-packs and food binges and too much TV and too much phone. We express our fear with erupting anger and silent stares. We're experts at both of them. The Eisenheim altarpiece is located in France this day. It's a 16th century altarpiece. It was created for a monastery that cared for people with skin disease. And that's an important point for us. Christ has a skin disease in this painting, showing the patience that Jesus understands and sympathizes with their fear. The people at the monastery were afraid that their skin disease would kill them. What is it for you? What do you fear? What do you think will kill you? Teenagers? Taxes? Cancer? Loneliness? Depression? Debt? Divorce? Dementia? Jesus understands. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knows all about fear. In the altarpiece, Mary is collapsing in anguish into the arms of John, Christ's beloved disciple. A mother's greatest fear comes true. She witnesses the death of her son, her dear son, Jesus. 
John the Baptist also appears on the altarpiece. He's next to the Lamb. Sacrificing, symbolizing the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist was beheaded by the order of Herod. So John the Baptist couldn't have witnessed Christ's death. But the artist includes John to remind us of what he said of Jesus. Recorded in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a very important point. What looks world-ending is life-giving. What looks world-ending is really life-giving. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb of God, but yes, He takes away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, our ugly, rotten, putrid sin. That's because Jesus is our Redeemer. Remember, a Redeemer creates beauty from ashes. In the Eisenheim altarpiece, it has two painted wings that open and close over the central painting. They're like doors on a cabinet. When the wings are closed, it appears just like this. shows the crucifixion. Christ hanging on the cross. His body discolored by this greenish hue. His wounds covering His sick body. Suffering, rejection, death. Death on a cross. But on Easter, they open it. Down our wings are open and it's Easter. Christ burst, for, burst forth from the tomb. He is risen. Death has no more dominion over Him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In the painting, when it's open, Christ's hands are raised in blessing. Behind Him, in orange and startling yellow, a sun rises against the sky. There's swirls of yellow, white, red, and blue. They adorn our Christ. The most Amazing feature of this painting of the resurrection are the rubies, and you can't see them, but they're there. The artist plays rubies in Christ's hands and on his feet and on his side. Rubies where Christ's scars once were. Jesus, our Redeemer, creates beauty from ashes. Rubies from scars. The disciples' rejection and desertion are now rubies. The flogging and the mocking are now rubies. The nail and the spear are now rubies. Why? Death is dead. Sin is forgiven. Hope is eternal. The victory is won. What looks world-ending is finally life-giving. And Jesus said it would happen. Jesus said it five times, Matthew records in his Gospel. Jesus says this, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Five times Jesus said that, recorded by Matthew. Still that first Easter morning, the disciples chose fear over faith. They abandoned Jesus on Thursday. Only one of them stood at the cross on Friday, and on Sunday after the resurrection, they're all hiding behind a locked door because they think they're next. It's so easy to choose fear. False evidence appearing real. Over faith, forsaking all, I take him. Fear does that. Fear does things to us we don't want to do. Fear holds us captive when we, don't want, when we want to be free. Fear holds us prisoner. Prisoner behind bars only we put there. There's something much 
much better than fear. It's faith. We would all rather live by faith. We all would. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're Christians. But yet we fear. Let me say the words of the angel's promise to you. He is not here, for He is risen. Just as He said. Just as He said. We trust Jesus. Jesus says, I took away your sin. I conquered death. I am alive bodily and eternally. I'm coming back again to give you a perfect body and restore the entire creation. Fear be gone. Live by faith. You know the most frequent command in the Bible? What it turns out to be? What instruction, what order is given repeatedly? It's given by the prophets, by angels, by Jesus, by the apostles. Was it to be good? I'm obviously not listening to that one all the time, are we? Nope, it's not that one. Is it to be holy? It's not that one. The most frequent command in the Bible is don't fear. 365 times it appears in the Bible, in fact. One for each day of the year. And why is that? Because God knows. God knows that we fear many things. Jesus experienced fear, great fear, when He followed the will of His Father. He asked for the cup to be taken from Him. He sweat drops of blood. Jesus called out from the cross, Why have you forsaken Me? Jesus knows fear. Faith. Forsaking all, I take Him. Him? Him is our Redeemer. Jesus creates life from death, joy from sadness, beauty from ashes. And remember, the rubies from the altarpiece, the rubies, the five rubies, one for each of the scars on Jesus' body. Do you have small children or grandchildren? Don't fear. Do you have teenagers? Don't fear. Has everything gone terribly wrong? Don't fear. Are you sick? Don't fear. Are you full of worry? Don't fear. Are there times where you feel absolutely heartbroken? Don't fear. Let's go back to the tomb. Peter and John have left, and they're on the way to tell others what happened. You're left at the tomb by yourself. The burial cloths, the land right there. Now what? Does fear start to set in? Do you start asking yourself the what-if questions? What if Jesus is still in the tomb? Did they check the whole tomb? What if somebody stole Jesus' body? Because I haven't seen Him and I don't know where He is now. What about the guards? The guards that were guarding the tomb, they're gone. Did they go into Jerusalem and tell the chief priest and maybe even Pilate? Maybe the whole Roman army is coming back. I don't want to be here when they get back. So many what-ifs. From where you are standing, the tomb is open. And it appears empty. I have faith that what Jesus said would happen, really happened. But I'm not sure. 
My faith is being tested by my fear. So you head back towards the city of Jerusalem. You find yourself at the very cross that took the life of Jesus. It's still standing there, covered with his blood. You remember the events of Good Friday and know that Jesus died on that cross. See, the cross is an instrument of torture meant to give people fear. But now the cross stands empty and I don't feel fear. I hear the words of Jesus say, it is finished. Every time I see the cross, I'm reminded of the great Billy Graham. Many years ago, a young Billy Graham asked a group of gathered pastors about a message he just recently given and what they thought about it. It seemed that Billy Graham had some concerns about it and he wanted some constructive feedback on his message. Well, as you can imagine, many of the pastors just looked at each other and gave some half-hearted answers because I don't want to be the pastor who called out Billy Graham. Finally, after some discussion, one pastor spoke up and told Billy, you forgot the cross. You forgot the cross in your message. If you've ever heard one of Billy Graham's messages, his messages were simple and true. The cross. The cross changes everything. In every message I ever listened to Billy Graham, he said something very similar to this. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. God loves each and every one of us, no matter what. A cross meant for death, to put fear into people, is my victory. It's your victory. Jesus gave us that victory when he walked out of the tomb alive. We believe and have faith in Jesus and His victory. That's the hope that we have as Christians. Today is the day that sets us apart from all other faiths. There is nothing we have to earn, nothing we have to prove. Jesus, an innocent man, was beaten to within an inch of His life. He took His cross and carried it to Golgotha. He was nailed upon that cross. He died. And three days later, he rose, just as the Scripture said he would. I do not fear when I look at the cross. When we have fear in this life, God wants us to turn to the cross and say to him, and hear him say, it is finished. I love you. But you say, I've given God countless reasons not to love me. I've committed sin after sin. I've broken His commandments over and over. I'm not worthy of His love. None of those reasons has changed God's mind and His love for you. None of them. No matter your sins, Jesus took them on the cross. They were there. God knows you inside and out. He knows everything about you, and He still loves you. God proved His love on the cross. And if that's not enough proof of God's love, the tomb is empty. He is not there. He is risen just as He said. 
You know, when we have fear, you have this empty feeling inside. When you feel empty, we look for something to fill up the space of our fear. We look into empty tombs looking for Jesus instead of looking within our hearts where Jesus resides now. When we have fear, we forget. We forget that God will never leave us or forsake us. God is within each one of us. The tomb is empty. And I will not fear. I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that my Redeemer lives. Forsaking all, I take Him. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we share in our messages, any questions on faith, any just general questions, get a hold of me. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. God bless.